This is part two of a two-part episode series. Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I am Lisa Cooper, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Chris Schreiner. Hello. And Derek Vita. Hello. Today we're going to talk about the issues faced by consumers and UX designers of increasingly complex and connected devices and services. How are users handling this? How do UX designers design for this? We'll talk more about reliability, safety, security, privacy, um, a little bit about the technologies out there that will help in the future, and the value of mental and conceptual models when it comes to the design of increasingly complex systems. So let's talk a little bit about mental and conceptual models. When designers design systems, they have a mental model about how that system will look and behave. They are the experts in that system or in that software. So their mental model may be very different from the mental model of a user who has very little experience with that technology, that software. For something to be easy to learn and easy to use, we need to create a conceptual model, which is a bit different from a mental model. We need to match the mental model of the user with the way the design is presented to them. And to do that, we need a conceptual model that uses the end user's mental model to inform it during the design. So, for example, this is this is very good for not just for communicating with an end user, but it's also good for UX designers to create their own conceptual models of how these new, very complex systems work. You're not just designing one product anymore, one device anymore. You are trying to integrate that device into potentially an already established system that you also need to understand. Um, so creating your own conceptual model can also help with making informed design choices. So I see this as a, a big problem that UX designers face just first because your mental model for what you're working on is going to be different from really anybody else in the world, even your early adopting users, because this is your life. This is what you're working on. Exactly. <laughs> Eight, 10 hours a day. And just by nature, you're giving it much more importance. Yes. Than your users are going to have on it. And it goes beyond that to just the importance that's placed on it. They, users aren't going to think that the feature is as important as you think it is. Exactly. Because you're devoting your your sweat, your time, your energy into designing this. And the user might be like, eh, <laughs> all right, that, that's all right. So it, it's tough for a UX designer to step out of that and, and really see it from a perspective that might be a little more factual. And then on top of that, when you're doing this and trying to integrate with other systems, now you're bringing in you, all of your mental models of these other systems that again are going to be different from those that designed it and those from the end user because you're kind of this half step moved and 
again, the more complex the system is, the more difficult it is to remove your biases of your mental model when you're creating a design. And that's why the user's mental model needs to inform the conceptual model that you're providing to users in how to work your system um, and how to design that system and the interface that goes with it. And on top of this, people just can't keep up. They can't keep up with this fast pace of technology. I mean, it's so life cycles of these products and devices so short. Uh, and often they don't, we know from our research, they don't have a sense of how networks work either. Um, so it's difficult for them to, to problem solve or troubleshoot when something goes wrong. And this contributes to this sense of overwhelm and a lack of confidence, which of course increases with age as they become more and more unfamiliar with how these automated complex systems work. And with an aging society who will rely more and more on technology, to be honest, for remote patient monitoring and things like this, and uh, we need to be careful and try and update their mental models as older adults. You know, that's a good strategy to use. What's their jumping off point? You have to meet users where they are and use that as a jumping off point. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say something that we hear all the time as consultants when we talk to user experience orgs. Lisa, that all sounds great. We just don't have budget for user research to go and talk to these users. How would you respond to that? When it comes to new technology, the consequences are getting higher, where it's literally life and death. So anything like remote health monitoring or driverless vehicles or security systems. You have to be very cognizant of the end user of those products. Otherwise, you could be hit with a lawsuit. You could be responsible for someone's death. This is not just inconvenience anymore. And how many times have we seen recalls on products? So now these safety critical systems, the stakes are getting higher. So let's move into this idea of reliability, privacy, and security. These are really keys to adoption. If you don't trust your system, you are not going to buy that system. We could literally have a whole episode on this topic, so I'll try and be concise. This is a point I was just speaking to. When you have remote patient monitoring systems, you have autonomous vehicles, more advanced security systems, for example, the consequences of error is becoming literally life or death. Um, you have to rely on a robust system. Now, what does that mean? You have to rely on systems that have really good battery life, for example. You cannot have a device that is monitoring your health quit on you because the battery's dead or it needs to be on at all times in order to monitor certain illnesses or conditions. And there has been some movement in terms of innovation in that regard. We now have thermoelectric power generators that can be uh, used in wearables that some universities are working on. We have inertial energy harvesting sensors. Ooh, that's a large topic that can harvest energy through human motion that some academics are also working on and smart clothing and bandages and so on that use radio frequency harvesting where you can harvest radio frequencies from the existing environment or from emitters that are integrated into your wearables. So there is some technology out there that can help with battery life, but it still has to be something that is considered in any safety critical system, especially and beyond being inconvenient. But it's still, it's also incredibly important in non-safety critical systems. It's still the number one 
source of dissatisfaction on smartphones. True, yes. If people can trust the device, then they will buy the device. If if it's not going to meet their needs, if it's going to the battery life is going to is going to be dead uh, halfway through the day, that's not going to meet their needs. They can't trust it for what they need it to do. They're not going to buy it. So let's talk about privacy. We know from our research at Strategy Analytics that there's a lot of there's a lack of knowledge in how to protect ourselves in terms of privacy and an almost a, a resignation about it, the inevitability of a lack of privacy. There are some solutions out there uh, that are being worked on. There's something called a personalized privacy assistant, uh, which Carnegie Mellon University has worked on. This research looks at varying degrees of control over your privacy, whether you just want to be notified, all the way up to an assistant that automatically sets your privacy settings based on what they know about you and everything in between. Now let's think about all of the the devices we have in our home. There are so many cameras, from robot vacuums to security systems and smart TVs. As I said before, users don't adopt what they don't trust. Do you really want to have a camera in your home that can be hacked? Or listen in to conversations about your social security number or your bank account details. These are the issues that we have to address. Reliability and safety. One technology solution, perhaps, is edge computing. Claimed to be the cloud killer. Uh, It's simply an extension of the cloud model and can complement clouds. Edge computing is about capturing, processing, and analyzing Internet of Things data near to where it's created and is a more decentralized model of where information is processed. It's processed more locally as opposed to a public cloud. Okay, so what does the edge computing mean for designers and, and users if, if we do go towards this? It means you will have improved speed and latency because all of that information is being processed closer to, it's more local processing of information. Autonomous vehicles, for example, rely heavily on instantaneous responses to keep end users safe because milliseconds matter. Uh, security. Centralized data storage and processing means that hackers can have widespread consequence. So when you transfer less data, less data can be infiltrated. And reliability. Geography doesn't matter with edge computing. Um, so intermittent connectivity shouldn't affect the operation of smart devices. So it would have huge implications for travelers and, and those who live in remote areas uh, who may be using autonomous vehicles or rely on healthcare wearables, for example. So edge computing could really help with that aspect of things. and Lisa brings up an excellent point about privacy as well that dovetails on something that I had mentioned earlier about the different specs for privacy depending on the stakeholders involved. A lot of times the end user and even the UX designer doesn't really think about privacy until it's either brought up to them in some very obvious way in their face, or there is some sort of adverse event that happens. Is there some other way that we can surface this? Or is that, have I just listed all of the ways that UX designers can be brought into the loop on these privacy issues? Well, it should be something that is definitely addressed up front. You have to figure out, well, we need this information to be private and how are we going to do that with over, without overwhelming our end users with constant notifications? So there's, there, there are various ways of designing that in that can go from the notifications all the way to an automated response. Partially for privacy reasons, but also for battery conservation reasons, I don't like having Bluetooth running on my phone all of the time. The local Department of Health put out a great 
contact tracing app during the pandemic right that will notify you if one person who also has the app and also has the connectivity enabled near you has tested positive for COVID-19 and will push that notification. Anytime I turn off Bluetooth on my phone, I get a big nasty notification saying your exposure notifications aren't going to play, but that's fine. I'm at home. As long as my partner and my dog don't have it, I'm good. So there, there could be a little more intelligence in, in that. You know, maybe reminding you if you leave the house to turn it on. And then that comes to the point of the value of the information that's conveyed in these systems. The information needs to be of value. So that doesn't just apply to privacy. It applies to, for example, healthcare, uh, remote health monitoring systems. You don't want to inundate doctors with reams and reams of information and data. It has to be the relevant data. It needs to be something they care about. And this is why it's so important to bring in both users of these systems. You, you need the doctors in there, you need the nurses, and you need the patients. Everyone has to be brought into this. And that would avoid this kind of scenario. So I see that as applying not only to privacy, but also to any Internet of Things system that requires transfer of information, especially in something like healthcare or any situation where overwhelm will interfere with the task at hand. Right. We're talking a little bit about technology and how this can help a little bit too. What else is coming down the pipeline are low Earth orbit or LEO satellites. Now, when we think about reliability, we also have to think about connectivity. There's a potential with these satellites that Elon Musk and others are putting up into the atmosphere to act as a backup or ensure maintenance of connectivity all over the world. Uh, so these LEO satellites are smaller, they orbit closer to the Earth, they're not in a fixed position like traditional counterparts, and they can ensure fast reception and transmission of data. So SpaceX has a goal of launching 300,000 of these LEO satellites, currently has 955 or thereabouts in orbit. And the benefit of that is that now a school in the rural district in West Virginia has connected 40 homes with high-speed internet to support remote learning. So not only can this connect all of us in hard-to-reach places, as well as have benefits to... Um, the use of autonomous vehicles all over the world and other use cases, it can also be potentially a backup in terms of connectivity and ensuring reliability and robustness of these systems. So the reliability of being connected and the consistency being connected is issues that we face quite a lot when we talk about in the car, driving around, you're suddenly out of out of signal. How do you communicate that to the user? How do when features aren't able to work anymore? How do you handle that? And even now with with 5G, a lot of, if you have the really high speed 5G, like Verizon would have in an urban core, that's going to enable features that you couldn't have in a lower speed 5G or in 4G. And so now trying to deal with all of these different areas and what features and functions are capable, and then that gets a lot more complex. So to have a consistent connectivity that you could rely on would ease a lot of the contingency plans that UX designers have to face when connectivity signal changes. Well, even if you switch from one form of connectivity to another, say you go from traditional forms over to a satellite because you're having to back things up, something's happened, you've gone out of reach or whatever the reason is, you don't have to necessarily let the user know about that. In fact, it's probably better if you don't. As long as it works, it works. That's all all you end users care about is that it works. This is a 
challenge that UX designers face on a regular basis. How much transparency is needed? You want to be transparent and transparency helps as long as it helps users understand what's happening. If they've lost connectivity and it's going to affect a couple of systems, then you be transparent and you say, okay, we're going to a backup system. You won't have access to your security camera but this, this, and this works. But do they necessarily need to know that they're on a different system? As long as it doesn't affect anything, it's better to not necessarily uh, inform them. They don't need that notification. They just want it to work and nothing be compromised in the process. Not their their security, not their privacy. Everything works the way it would have worked in the other scenario. Absolutely. And I would take those points one step further, actually, because until Elon Musk puts his 300,000 satellites uh, into low Earth orbit, there's always going to be a case, especially if we're designing for people on the go, where there is no connectivity. Mm-hmm. And designers need to account for that inevitability. And it's amazing to me in the year of in the year 2021 that designers in the mobility space still aren't thinking about this. We still see quote unquote, funny stories all the time about people who take these app-based car shares out into the woods and get locked out of their car. So now it's a two-ton paperweight because they can't access their car because their phone has no connectivity, which is ridiculous. You're designing for a mobile use case in the year 2021. You're not going to have connectivity anywhere. So you need to design for that inevitability. Right. Now let's think about natural disasters. Connectivity's lost. It's so important to have a backup of some sort or to have alternatives for when that happens. In some cases, like for example, in England, just an inch of snow can cause a whole like country to stop versus a hurricane or, you know, these are just, these are regular events and we need to be aware of them because connectivity now is so essential for so many things. We have to think about natural disasters. We have to think about areas that are remote. If everybody is to be able to contribute in, whether it's in their work, whether it's in their schooling. And I also think about how vulnerable people with sight loss can be because they rely so heavily on connectivity for where they are, their connection to their families, and for various services. And I'm sure there are lots of other groups too that rely heavily on it. So now it's time for condensed soup. Condensed soup. Condensed soup. Boop, boop. So the question today is, what is your most frustrating experience setting up a smart home device. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. We are a Sonos household. We love the multi-speaker Sonos system. Use it to set up different rooms, play music across different rooms. It's fantastic. Last year, Sonos released a new app that basically killed our bridge, made it obsolete. So we can play music in individual rooms, but the multi-room experience basically got killed and we had to buy another bridge. I'm shortening this story quite a bit to say I love Sonos, but I hate Sonos's development process. Chris? So I was going to do a best and worst experience, all in one. I broke down and bought a smart Christmas tree light. (laughs) What are smart Christmas tree lights? Yes, explain. They're, they're just Christmas tree lights that you can control on an app. 
So I can sit there and say what colors the light should be, what pattern they should blink, the speed. Do I want a strobe <laughs> Christmas tree? This is a compelling use case. <laughs> <laughs> it was very easy to set up and hook up to the system and have the app and control it. It was great. It was a really great experience for that. Where it fell down for me was actually more in the design of the app itself because I have it set on a timer to turn on automatically, turn off automatically. But I want it to just be steady lights. I don't like flashing lights. I don't want a strobe effect. I just want the light to turn on. It can't do that. If you set it on a timer, it automatically turns on and it has to have some kind of effect going on. It has to blink. It has to strobe. It has to maybe morph different colors. It just can't be a steady, solid thing. That for me is uh, very frustrating. When I set it up and it was rather easy to set up, it had such promise. I could yell for 15 minutes about the fact that what you are calling smart Christmas lights are basically app-connected Christmas lights with fancy effects on them, but uh, we'll save that for another episode. For me, I wanted to put a sensor on the door so that the lights would turn on when we came home, but the sensor required a flush situation that we did not have on the door. So... For example, the frame jutted out further than the door did, so we couldn't use the sensor. So we tried to program the lights to come on when you would enter the entryway. However, we go through the entryway to go to another room, and so that every <laughs> they would constantly go on when you did that. So it wasn't optimal. I was, uh, and, and apparently we tried on other doors too. We tried that that particular sensor. There were no openings in the house that were flush like that the frames would stick out a little bit either over a door or a window so i'm not sure why it was designed the way it was there you go that was my condensed soup terrible if you would like to talk more about integration of connected products and services or you'd like to learn more about smart home research that we've done at strategy analytics send us any questions you may have or just reach out to say hi you can email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, has links to our recent research on integration of connected devices. And there you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UXSoup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.